BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Crystal Knight. Welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week, President Biden held his State of the Union address And to my surprise, the president actually came out swinging. And when I say swinging, he was really bringing the punches, not only to remind the American public about the progress that he's made over the last two years, but also forcefully and skillfully battling Republicans who attempted to heckle him, call him a liar and remind them that they have voted against many protections that would help American citizens. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks. I thought that the president gave a strong speech and I thought that this is the setup for him to run for reelection in 2024. Now, many pundits might say, well, he didn't talk about this and he didn't talk about that. But what he did discuss, he talked about gun reform. He discussed health care protections for senior citizens and some of our most vulnerable populations. Um, He talked about infrastructure. He spoke about building back this country off of blue collar workers and making sure that products that are made in this country, the supply chain begins here, that things are truly American made. I actually thought that was one of his stronger points. But today, We are going to hear from a woman who leads a Democratic women's movement that's also very ingrained at the local, state, and even federal level of getting more women to run for office. And I'm curious to get her thoughts to understand how does the president's State of the Union affect not only women that will run for office in the years to come, but also what is the reshuffling of the primary process for Democratic candidates or for the Democratic primary, rather, mean for 2024. Today's guest is Ashanti Golar. She is the president and CEO of Emerge. Emerge is a Democratic candidate training program for women who desire to run for office across this country. And also, favorite disclaimer, I used to work for Emerge. I ran, I was the founding director, rather, of Emerge Tennessee, my home state, and I absolutely love the mission and program of Emerge. 
And I am excited to have this conversation. And welcome to the show, Ashanti. Thank you for having me, Crystal. So good to talk with you. Ashanti, I wanted to bring you on this week because something pivotal has happened with the State of the Union. Every year, the president gives a State of the Union address where he lets the country know exactly what is the state of you know our economy, what's the state of our health care, what's the state of every single thing that affects the American life. And I wanted to know, what are your thoughts about his speech um, that happened this week? How did you feel just off of, you know, first reading or first glance? How did you think he did? I thought the president did wonderful. And I was really excited to hear him given all of the great democratic victories that we had in November. The fact that everyone was saying we're going to have this red wave, we didn't. And we know that was because of the work of our president, of our vice president. So I'm just really proud of them. And I think he showed why he's Joe Biden, why he's the ultimate statesman, why we elected him. I think we got a little bit of the dark Brandon that came out that <laughs> right. I love so much. And we are just really lucky to have him as our president during this time, guiding us, strengthening the economy after we had so much hardship during the pandemic, making sure that people are getting back to work, what he continues to do with health care, with paid family leave. You know, we have just been talking about FMLA and the fact that the majority of people in this country still don't have paid family leave. That's right. But we're seeing people want to take away women's rights to choose mm -hmm. when they have a baby and then not give them the time off that they would need to care for the baby, to bond with the baby. And that's for the mother and the father. Absolutely. We, we have our Congressional Dads Caucus now. They're championing these issues. How we talked about the environment, foreign relations. I just felt that our president was very on point, And I'm really energized to continue to see what him and the vice president are going to do during 2023. I totally agree with you. I love the president's energy. I thought he was very energetic. I also thought one of the things that you just stated about being an ultimate statesman, there were many times throughout his speech where he was heckled, where there were folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene who were calling him a liar, yelling at him. And it really speaks to the decorum and the lack of decorum that Speaker McCarthy um, is able to establish within his own party. But can you talk to us a little bit about just the decorum, not only in a joint session like what we just saw, but particularly as it, as it relates from women to men, because there is this unspoken rule in politics sometimes that women have to be even more put together. We have to be a little bit quieter. We can't be as forceful and as loud and as boastful. But when you see images and video of Marjorie oh Taylor Greene literally acting like she's in the wild, wild west while the president is speaking. What is that signal, do you think, to the American public? It's really unfortunate because this is not the first time that we have had members of Congress yell liar to the president during a State of the Union address. We actually saw this for the first time, I want to say, in 2009 with President Obama, right. when he gave his first State of the Union address and that congressman yelled liar, 
And I think everyone was stunned. Even the president <laughs> yeah. was just like, like who does that? Did you, <laughs> did you really just do that? So I think, unfortunately, for President Biden, when it happened, it's he's known it has happened before, but he's been in politics so long, he was able to flip it on them right. in only the way a Joe Biden can do. And unfortunately for the Republican Party, they can't lead on issues. So this is all they have mm-hmm. is being boisterous and loud. And in D.C., when I came here, I learned that there's a saying when it comes to elected officials, the people who work in politics, you're either like someone, you're a workhorse or you're a show horse. Mm-hmm. The Republicans, they're being short horses right now. The right. Democrats, we're the workhorses. We are continuing to fight for the American people. And you saw that last night. And you can never say that there has been a time during a State of the Union address where Democrats have been abruptly rude to the president. Even Speaker Pelosi, she still sat back there. You know, she, she might have not clapped. She might have not smiled all the time. Like she was gangster though when she wrote that speech up. I'm not right. gonna lie, <laughs> but we we never yell mm-hmm. at the president, regardless of the party, during a State of the Union address. But this is unfortunately who many in the Republican Party are, and it's sad that there are Republican voters who like it and relate to it. Absolutely, and it just it lets you know that the MAGA extremism has continued to thrive even. When President, former President Donald Trump is not in office and how the rhetoric and the actions of many in his party are just continuously dangerous for this country. One of the things that I've read, you put out a statement about the president's speech and what it means for women across this country, not only who are running for office and elected, but just women at large. And some of the things that were highlighted in your statement included police reform, LGBTQ rights and the Roe versus Wade debate. The president talked about all three of those issues last night. And I wanted to get your perspective about what does that mean for the voter? And what does it mean for the Democratic woman who is serving in elected office? I think it's just very important to even have our president boldly talk about these issues. We know that when the Supreme Court justices issued their opinion on the fall of Roe Dobbs, Mm -hmm. they talked in there about coming for LGBTQ rights next. They did. Like it is on the table. Mm -hmm. So that is something we have not forgotten. It's something that needs to be in the forefront. That's what President Biden, Vice President Harris do. Police reform. We are coming off of Tyree Nichols. which really, in my opinion, showed why we're talking about a system because Mm -hmm. of the people that are involved. It's the criminal justice system that we need to reform that continue to cause this to happen, no matter what police officers look like, because we have had these situations with police brutality that have happened to people of all walks of life Mm -hmm. and has been done by black officers, white officers, women officers. It knows no color or gender. And our economic issues is so front and center, especially for women. When the pandemic hit, 
the majority of job losses that occurred were with women. We know that kitchen table issues are things that women deal with every single day. Mm -hmm. And we need to hear our president speak to them. And that relates to the women voters because they want to make sure that they're also putting people in elected office who are going to support these issues and the president so we can get these bills passed. That's at the federal level. But we know it's so important at the state and local level because Mm -hmm. that's where the policies have the largest impact on our everyday lives. It was such a great speech, the delivery. I felt that he was just really able to speak to everyone in the Democratic Party. You could see yourself in things that he was saying. And that's why our party is so great. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know we're very diverse. We're not the same. Mm -hmm. But we have a president and a vice president who are able to bring us all together. Absolutely. And one of the things, you know, a couple of other highlights that I thought was very uniting for the country. The president spoke about education. He spoke about raising teachers pay. He also spoke about making sure that, you know, American jobs, the supply chain begins in America. We always love to hear this slogan about buy American, made in America. But oftentimes we know that our products, manufacturing, many of these things are made in China or in India or in Vietnam. And I really appreciate it that the president is committed not only to making sure that this country is stronger because of the jobs that are here in this country, but also that Americans have the opportunity to compete for these jobs to increase the amount of small businesses that are growing across this country. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts about that because I thought that was a really key point in his message because it's, it's an economic, um, you know, uplift if we're able to create more jobs and also have supply chain jobs begin in America. Yes. And we used to be the manufacturing powerhouse. So it's actually kind of upsetting that we didn't do those investments and we now are seeing everything happen overseas. And I'm an American where I want to see all of my dollars go to my fellow Americans. And I love that you talked about small businesses because that's very important too. For me, every year, I try to identify a new woman-owned small business especially a black woman owned small business that I can begin to support Mm -hmm. with my dollars. Mm -hmm. And the majority of people who are starting small businesses are women. And I just love that you'll get on social media and you'll see that the president has just stopped by a small business when he's out traveling, he's calling small businesses. It's so important. And we really do need to make that investment like making sure that we are having things happening here at home, especially as our foreign dynamics across the world Mm -hmm. change. We, We need to make sure that we're solid here. One of the other things that I thought was interesting, I'm turning a little bit now to the rebuttal. Sarah Huckabee Sanders Um, noted early on in her rebuttal that she is one of the, if not right now, the youngest governors at the age of 40 in the country. She also noted that President Biden is one of the oldest presidents at 80. And that speaks to ageism. And that is troubling because 
we like to say that we value people who have diverse experience. We value people who have new experiences. But talking about the president's age, which alludes to maybe challenges with his health or whatever, however one may interpret it. How does that play a role in, you know, in politics and culture? She talked a lot about CRT as well and just the culture of politics, but also ageism as well within politics. Yeah. With the ageism, it bothers me how people will want to pick and choose whose age that they hit. That's right. So President Biden and Donald Trump are around the same age, but I never heard her say anything bad about his age when she was the White House press secretary at the podium defending his age, defending his health, defending his cognitive ability. But now, (laughs) Governor, it's a problem having people this age in the White House because four years ago, you had zero problems. That's right. Zero. You thought it was great. So really, it's we we ain't forgot you're picking and you're choosing. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I love seeing young people get involved in politics. Both you and me, we started off as young women in politics. That's right. But I learned from my elders. Mm -hmm. It was my elders that lifted me up. Women who saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. Mm -hmm. And I continue to learn from them. I love the new documentary on Speaker Pelosi, Mm -hmm. getting that behind the scenes from her. We still need those people. And it's where we need to be coming together, especially in politics, learning from the older people. But also, and I think Biden and Harris are really good at this, is listening to the younger people as well. Olivia Giuliano with Gen Z for Change was invited to be a guest of one of the members of Congress at the State of the Union. That shows how her voice was important, how an older member of Congress brought Mm -hmm. in a young person. Mm -hmm. It's just, we need to get over it. We need to learn from each other. And with CRT, I'm not listening to what anyone has to say about CRT. If you have never taken a CRT course, Uh-oh. you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So you go sit down, take the course, and then we can have the conversation. I'm not interested in anything that you have to say when you really have not even taken the time mm-hmm. to learn. You're just spewing hate. You're spewing ignorance. And when it comes to CRT, you are spewing anti-blackness. And I ain't got the time for it. That's right. I'm with you all the way right there because it's it's really a non-starter because we already know CRT is not taught in K through 12 education. It's a Republican talking point that they continue to run with and create this cultural divide based off a false narrative, quite frankly. And it's it's disturbing that she brought that up, but it also lets us know that that will be something that will likely come up during the 2024, um, you know, the re-election for President Biden or just, you know, the presidential primaries in general. Um, but the other thing, too, I thought was, you know, we have to talk about is just this new dynamic um, with Biden being the president. We now have our first woman vice president sitting behind him. And now we're at the point where the House is being led by Kevin McCarthy, the new GOP speaker. Um, but that dynamic is a, is a bit of a shakeup because we're used to see we've been used to seeing Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House 
and men, quite frankly, in the VP role, what does having Vice President Kamala Harris sitting behind President Biden at a time when we did the Democrats did well in the midterms, but also they, you know, the Republicans edged us out um, in the House now that we have Kevin McCarthy sitting next to um, Vice President Harris. When I saw President Biden, Vice President Harris, you know, Speaker McCarthy, all I was really saying is like, dude, get your house in order. (laughs) (laughs) Like you had to battle your own people to become speaker. Like you moved into the speaker's office. You had to move out. There's, you know, you moved in prematurely. Mm -hmm. Just work on your own stuff. You have elevated some of the, you know, I'm going to say it's some of the worst people to have committee positions that are going to have a negative impact on all of us. I I can't take him seriously Mm -hmm. because with Speaker McCarthy, it's not about the people. It's about the power. That's right. And that was just extremely clear during his speakership. And I see President Biden and I see Vice President Harris. And I see two people who continue to deliver and they were there to talk about the people of America. That was their focus. So it, it is upsetting to see the dynamic change mm-hmm. that we don't have Speaker Pelosi there. It's great that we do have that history and those memories. But I still honestly think about the future and I can't wait until it's three women we have up there as our president, as our vice president, as the speaker, and especially for women seeing our vice president there is a testament to how far we have come. But unfortunately, with all of the continued hit pieces that Mm -hmm. happen on her, that's right, that irk the hell out of me. I'm like, y'all doing this during Black History Month? Exactly. Again and again. Woman vice president. Right. It still unfortunately shows how far we have to go, but how she continues to handle it with such grace and class and dignity. I just love her. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about the vice president is that she is really in tune with what is happening in this country. And so one of the things that, you know, one of the guests that were in the gallery was the mother and and stepfather of Tyree Nichols and vice president Harris actually went to Memphis, which also happens to be my hometown and spoke at Tyree Nichols funeral really signifying that was on the first day of black history. Um, but, but letting that family know and the black community know that these type of actions that police are taking against black Americans, it's uncalled for it's unlawful, but it's also very symbolic that the vice president would show up in Memphis for such an important event, but also think enough of that event, think enough of the family to invite them to be guests at the State of the Union. Yes. And when I saw that the vice president was going to change her schedule to go to the funeral, that definitely signifies the importance of it. You know, the press readout was Tyree's mother. They were talking and she said, would you come to the funeral? And the vice president didn't hesitate. And she said, yes. And we know for administration officials, their schedules are set way in advance. Absolutely. So there were a lot of things that were pulled down. There were a lot of last minute things. So that showed the importance of being there and how she really is 
a woman of the community. And I feel we really got to see her shine when we had the follow role. She was our voice. She was mm-hmm. our ambassador. She was traveling the states, having conversations with the local elected officials to talk about what could be done at the state and local level as well to protect abortion rights. And she had that knowledge being a former prosecutor, being the former district attorney, Mm -hmm. AG, senator. She was able to take all of that state level knowledge Mm -hmm. and take it back to the community, which is another reason why her and President Biden are such a dynamic duo between the two of them is just such a wealth of experience. Absolutely. And and speaking of, you know, the state knowledge and, and, you know, history and how that plays into her current role. Um, we know that the president and his, you know, most senior officials, they are hitting the road right after the state of the union. Their plan is to go out to America and sell us on all of the accomplishments that he's made over the last two years. Hopefully, Um, you know, ahead of him announcing that he's running for reelection. But also one of the things that we have to discuss is how the Democratic Party is reshuffling the presidential primary. So it all all of this is the timing is perfect. You know, you have the State of the Union. These most senior officials are going out on the road, on the road, the cabinet selling the, the, the president's plan. But also we see that South Carolina will now become the first state in 2024 to host the, you know, the presidential primary for the Democratic Party. And that is so key and important because what we were seeing happening in Iowa and New Hampshire um, were really Iowa were the caucuses. But now with this reshuffle, Having it in South Carolina, to me, it signifies that the party really is looking at the full makeup of the country. Um, South Carolina is much more diverse than the state of Iowa. But I wonder, what does this mean for President Biden should he decide to run for reelection? I absolutely love this decision. I know there's been a lot of hoopla, especially yes. in the internal party politics, but you have to evolve or die. That's right. For the evolution of the democratic party. And I'm glad that is happening under president Biden because he understands that he knows that if we want to continue to be a strong party, to attract voters of all walks of life, we have to shake up what our nominating process looks like and who gets a voice in it. And really with South Carolina going first now, you're saying that black Americans, white Americans, Latino, suburban, urban, rural, South Carolina has it all. They're now first. Right. That is saying that they matter. We all matter. Our collective voices matter. And it means that also in 2024 and beyond, the nominees will be spending more time in South Carolina with it being first. And I think that's going to be great for the campaigns that are run in 24 and the future, because they're going to be able to get so much depth in one state. And I know that coming from Nevada, I remember when we became mm-hmm. an early state and I was able to spend time with the candidates in 2008. It was just so nice to see them really engage with our great, diverse, vast state. And to have them walk away and say, thank you. 
this has helped me. I'm going to be taking this back to this policy person, right. this director for this community. I I absolutely love it. And I'm excited to see how much more fun it's going to make the primaries. I'm like, also, things get dull. Let's shake it up. Have That's right. Fun. Let's shake it up. I mean, and I think <laughs> we also have to recognize that there are other states that will begin to have earlier primaries as well. I think Nevada yeah. moves up some, New Hampshire, um, Georgia. These are other I'm states. excited about Georgia. Like, yeah. Stop sleeping on the South. That's let's, right. Let's just stop sleeping on the South, y'all. Absolutely. And Georgia has, for the last two election cycles, it has been the final state that has made the difference in our U.S. Senate. And so why not reward the work that they've been doing, building the infrastructure in the state by having them help really decide who becomes the next nominee for this party? Yes, absolutely. And it's pretty safe to say that we have President Biden and Vice President Harris because of Georgia. Absolutely. And we have maintained control of the United States Senate because of Georgia, we got to like give them their props we and do. recognize. <laughs> we just got to recognize and give credit where credit is due. Georgia is showing up and showing out. They are. They really are. Well, you know, Ashanti, I really appreciate the work that you're doing across this country to help elect a more democratic future, but also women. And so I wanted to leave you with just any last words that you might have as far as a pitch for Emerge and why people might either get involved or support um, in some way or another the organization and its mission? So at Emerge, we focus on recruiting and training Democratic women to run for office. Women, we're 51% of the population, but we don't hold 51% of the 520,000 elected offices across the country. We are working to change the face of politics, especially with our Emerge 2035 vision that focuses on lifting up the women of the new American majority, the coalition that helped give us Biden-Harris and all of these great democratic victories. But we don't want women just to be voters. We want for them to put their name on the ballot box. And that is what we are doing at Emerge with our recruitment and, and our training. So if you are a great democratic woman that wants to run for office, visit us at emergeamerica.org. If you know of a great Democratic woman that should run for office, send her to EmergeAmerica.org. But we really do need all of our voters supporting great women candidates, great Emerge candidates, because women are electable if you vote for them. Absolutely. I approve that message. (laughs) Well, Ashanti, thank you so much. Ashanti Golar, president of Emerge. Thank you so much for joining um, this week's episode and giving us your own recap of the State of the Union and the reshuffling of the presidential Democratic primary. I think our listeners will enjoy this episode and we will look to have you back soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you, Crystal, for having me. Love seeing you shine, sis. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. 
being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. (laughs) She's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.